Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is October the 13th, and our passage for today is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, another book we're beginning in this journey of 365 chapters through the Word of God in a single year. I'm so glad you're still joining us day by day, and as we do this, we begin to get the sense that God is writing a story. Not only is he writing his story, but while you are on this journey, God is writing his story upon your life. And as you walk with God, you begin to see that not only does God work in the life of Israel and God worked in the life of those who lived in times past, those around you, but he is working in your life. So I want to encourage you. We're in the home stretch now. We're in the last quarter. And let's see what God's going to do in the coming weeks and months. Well, in 2 Corinthians, we are beginning one of the greatest books and uh, the greatest sequels in the Word of God. First and Second Corinthians were written at two different times for two different purposes. It's not like First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Those were actually one book in the Hebrew text, in the Hebrew scriptures. But what we have before us is two distinct letters written at two distinct seasons in the life of the Apostle Paul and in his ministry to the church at Corinth that he loved so much and had spent so much time with these beloved people. As you recall, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we encountered this incestuous relationship that was being tolerated and complemented within the church and had become a source of pride for the people as being broad-minded when they should have been disciplining and loving a brother enough to tell him the truth. But they didn't do that, and so Paul rebuked them for that, and the man that he had admonished to repent and to turn him over to Satan, to the enemy, for the destruction of the flesh. Now, God's ultimately in control, but Paul believed this person to be a child of God who had gotten involved in a relationship and a sinful relationship that should have been condemned, but instead it was complimented. So Paul asked for the church to discipline this man publicly and openly. And part of the reason for this writing is that had actually happened. Now, Paul wrote this letter, this second letter in the fall of A.D. 56. As I told you when we started 1 Corinthians, I believe that letter was written in spring of 56. So a series of months had passed and correspondence had gone back and forth. And when Paul sent 1 Corinthians, they acted upon what Paul said to do. They disciplined this man. Remember, that was one of the questions that Paul had to deal with. What do we do about this situation? because he had heard about it. 
He was giving them instruction. And so they followed through on that. But what happened was, evidently, according to the first two chapters here, especially chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, this man who was in this incestuous relationship, this awful, ungodly sin, had repented, had truly repented, but the church would not forgive him. They were trying to punish him which brings us to the first lesson of this particular podcast. Paul wrote them to say, you must forgive him. You see, the purpose of all discipline in the Bible with one another is redemptive. That means you ask someone to repent and to turn from their sin in hopes and expectancy that they will. And if they do, you must be ready to forgive them. You must be ready to restore them. You must be ready to reconcile them. And if not, then you end up sinning yourself because we are to be forgiving. We are to be restorative. We are to be redemptive. It is never the task of the church to show someone something or to teach someone a lesson. You see, that's God's business. That gets into punitive, destructive behavior. And we're not capable of making those kinds of decisions. And if we're not careful, we'll get into the concept of vengeance, where we feel like we've got to take retribution upon someone. That's God's business. That's not ours. And so this is what happened at Corinth. These people, after the man had repented and accomplished what they were doing this for or should have been doing this for to redeem this man, to bring him back in the fold, restore him forgive him, they went the other way and went punitive and said, basically, no, that's not good enough. In other words, he said, forgive me. I repent. I stop it. I'm not going to ever do that again. And basically, it would be like somebody coming to you and saying, please forgive me. I've repented. I've shown fruit that I have repented. And you and I saying, oh, no, that's not good enough. You're going to have to crawl. You're going to have to hurt like I hurt. You're going to have to be embarrassed like I was embarrassed. That's not our business. That's not redemption. That's punishment. That's unforgiveness. You see, it takes a lot of grace to love somebody enough to tell them the truth. But then when they act, God has to give us grace to not hold that over their head and try to beat them down with it. This was what was happening at Corinth. So Paul wrote this second letter. And some believe that there was a sorrowful letter. I believe that the sorrowful letter that he wrote was 1 Corinthians. Now, you say, well, what's the justification of that? We don't have the second letter. We do have 1 Corinthians, and I want to tell you, just to use an old East Tennessee phrase, he skinned hide. I mean, he really was very open, frank, and seemingly harsh with the people saying, what are you doing? You're acting like lost people. You're babes in Christ. All of those terms are humiliating. They are terms that you would use when you were scolding somebody. He was not being condescending. He was the one that led these people to Christ and faith, and he felt a responsibility to them, much like a father would when he had to discipline his children. That's not always pleasant. And so this is what Paul was saying. I believe that was a sorrow. 
powerful letter that he said, we're going to have to deliver this one over to Satan, not <laughs> we get to destroy him. We get to watch him crawl and suffer. No, that's the attitude of a lost person, not the attitude of a father, a loving brother or sister. No, we want people to be restored. But the Corinthians had gone off the beam on the other side. And so Paul wrote them and talked to them about encouragement. Over and over again in the book of 2 Corinthians, there is this theme of encouragement. And I'm going to talk more about that as we go along, but I want you to understand this is very important. Part of the reason God assembles us together in what we call a local assembly is so that we can hear the word, yes, so we can praise the Lord, yes, so we can remember his death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf, yes. But also it is to encourage one another. And because in the days in which the New Testament passages were written, these were days of persecution, days of hardship, days of having to do things in the shadows because it was not openly conducive and welcomed to worship. And so they were being pressed on every side. As a matter of fact, the language of Second Corinthians chapter 1 is amazing. God said, you know, I will be with you. Don't fear tribulation. I've overcome the world because in the world you're going to have crises. You're going to have trouble. You're going to be hard pressed. You're going to be distressed. You're going to come up against all kinds of barriers and obstacles to your faith. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul says, Eulogetes, eulogized, blessed be, good things be said about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Mercies, God withholding from us what we deserve. He is the Father of that, and He is the God of all comfort. Now, the word comfort is the word parakaleo, paraklesis. Parakletos, all of these family words of encouragement. It's talking about someone called alongside to help you, to encourage you, to console you, to give you advice. This is the name given to the Holy Spirit by the Lord Jesus in the upper room with his disciples during the time of the Passover. He said, I'm going away, but I will send another who will be the Parakletos, the one who will be called alongside to help. Now, Parakletos was really a legal term used as a legal term in much of Koine Greek and even classical Greek of someone coming alongside as an advocate, as a defense attorney. And John presents Jesus that way in 1 John chapter 2, where he says he is our advocate, the one who stands in our place. And so there are various terms used for this concept, parakletos, advocate, one who's called alongside to help. But parakaleo is a term which is translated sometimes encourage, sometimes exhort. Uh, it's an exhortation for somebody to step up to the plate, do what they need to do. You come along beside someone, you put your arm around them, you encourage them, you help them. This is what the Apostle Peter did on the day of Pentecost. With many other words, he parakaleo, he called them alongside, he exhorted them, come and join me. 
Then you have the term paraclesis. That is used in this text as well. All of those are various aspects of this idea of encouragement. And so he says, God is the God of mercy and comfort coming alongside of us. He comforts us in all of our tribulation. Now, the word thlipsis is the word crushing, persecution, affliction, distress. And, and the whole idea of all of these words of encouragement that are in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is to say to those Corinthians, look, you have now gotten on the right track and you need to stay that track. You need to focus in on finishing the destiny that God has set up for you and arriving at that. But along the way, you need to understand God has allowed you to go through things so you can turn around and reach out your hand and bring others along the path that you have come, that God has led you, God has blessed you. Turn back and encourage someone else because God is going to use your experience in that hardship, that trial, that hard place. He's going to use you to turn around and encourage someone else. In our present day America, we have all sorts of this kind of encouragement. We have support groups. You know what support groups are? They're encouragement groups. They are people that have gone through drug addiction, gone through divorce, gone through cancer, gone through disease of every kind. And what do they do? They gather together not to say, woe is me, but to say, I need help. And once you get help, you turn around and help someone else. This is what Paul is saying to them. He says, you have been comforted. I have been comforted so that we can turn around. This is verse four and comfort anyone else who is in trouble, distress with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God, who is the ultimate encourager, God. But it is good many times when we see God using other Flesh and blood, human beings just like us, weak just like us, that have been troubled, that they're turning around and helping us because they've been helped. We're expected to do the same thing. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. For if we are afflicted, if we are afflicted, the word is thlebo, it really means restricted. It means to be pressed in a narrow place between a rock and a hard place as we would use in cliche. But he says, now, if we are afflicted, it is, Paul said, if I'm afflicted, it is for your consolation, your salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings. You see, God allows us to suffer not so we can just hold that in ourselves once we have been brought through suffering, but he gives us, forgive me for the term, because it might be misunderstood, but I've got to take the risk here. God allows suffering in many of our lives as a privilege because the privilege of suffering is often overlooked. Oh, any suffering is difficult when we ourselves are suffering it. But God through suffering, many times crushes the outward shell of all of us. And I'm not talking about suffering because of sin that we have done, but sometimes it is that. Sometimes no sin is involved, but we suffer because we are followers of Jesus. Now, you don't see a lot of that in America, but around the world, I do. 
I have brothers and sisters around the world that I talk with on a regular basis that are going through hardship, suffering. Their family has rejected them. Their friends have rejected them, not because they're obnoxious, not because they've done anything wrong, but because they've done something right. They're following Jesus, and that's an affront to their family, their friends, their colleagues. And so this is what Paul is talking about. It's a privilege to suffer in Jesus' name. When God allows us the privilege of suffering so that we can turn around and have an effect in someone's lives, that is of great value to the kingdom of God. Look at the life of someone like Corey Ten Boom. The Apostle Paul, yes, but look at, at Corey's life. I listened to her and was blessed and challenged in my own life as she shared about the suffering, the death of her sweet sister, of how she suffered, not because she had done something wrong, but because she was doing the right thing, and how God taught her so much that she turned around and taught me a generation later that she shared with thousands and tens of thousands of people to encourage them. I'm just giving you one human life. I could go on the rest of the year, day in and day out, telling you about lives that God has blessed so that they could turn around and bless others and be an encouragement to others. And sometimes when, when we go through things, we think, you know, this is just the end. I'm never going to be useful again. I, I'm not going to be able to do what I once did, go where I once went. But God, in his great mercy and grace, can use wherever we are in our walk with him to turn around and to say to someone else, you can, by God's grace, get through this. God comforted me, strengthened me, and he will strengthen you. And this is what 1 Corinthians is all about. And Paul had to use his own life. He had to defend his own integrity. He had to stand up for himself, not in a selfish way, but so that the work that God had done in him would not be maligned by those who had an agenda to destroy his life, his witness, and his testimony. Is there ever a time when we must defend ourselves? Yes. And the Apostle Paul is a Witness of that, Peter, James, and John, when they said, you cannot do this anymore, they said, you do whatever you want to. We've got to be faithful to God. And it was an encouragement to all the people, and God answered their prayers and, and sent great revival to the area. Why? Because of good times? No, because of bad times. Now, in the era in which we are now living, the epoch, the season that we are now living in America, we're going to see hard times in the future. This is not the time for the church of Jesus and the followers of Jesus to retreat. This is the time for the clarion call of the shofar to sound and the people of God shine in darkness. These are our days. These are our times. Hard times is when the church of Jesus shines. And that's what 2 Corinthians is all about. It's about encouragement. May God grant us the grace to be encouragers as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at tonycrisp.org. 
Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.